We have been talking about the covenant with David, and we've looked first at the promises that God fulfilled to David, promises he had made to, especially to Abraham and to Israel at Mount Sinai. So this covenant with David was in part fulfillment of God's covenants with Abraham and with Israel. And we've also looked at 2 Samuel 7, which it was the occasion on which God made this covenant with David. This time what we want to do is look at Psalm 89. And Psalm 89 is a psalm of response to that covenant with David. A very uh, beautiful psalm. Uh, responding to the grace of God in that covenant that he had made with David. The psalm, in fact, begins with a celebration of that covenant with David, and it uses a lot of the language from 2 Samuel 7. But we noted also that in 2 Samuel 7, the word covenant does not appear here in Psalm 89, which uses a lot of that language and refers to 2 Samuel 7, we find the word covenant used. Now this psalm uh, belongs uh, historically to the end of the kingdom of Judah. The last days of the kingdom of Judah, or perhaps even the beginning of the Babylonian captivity or sometime during the Babylonian captivity. But that raises a problem for us because at the beginning of this psalm, we read that it is a contemplation of Ethan the Ezraite. And Ethan the Ezraite is mentioned in 1 Kings 4, verse 31. We're going to begin to read there at verse 30. 1 Kings 4, verse 30, Thus Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the men of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all men, than Ethan the Ezraite, and Heman, Chalcol, and Darda, the sons of Mahol, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. And it seems that this Ethan is also mentioned in 1 Chronicles 2, verse 6. 1 Chronicles 2, verse 6. The sons of Zerah were Zimri, Ethan, Heman, Calcol, and Darda, five of them in all. Notice the series of names there is pretty much the same as that in 1 Kings 4, verse 31. So we have a problem here. We say that the psalm be, uh, belongs historically to the time of the end of the king of Judah or even to the time of the Babylonian captivity, but the title attributes it to a man who lived at the time of David or Solomon. So the question is, uh, oh, how do we solve that problem? And I think that the answer to that question should be that this psalm is indeed a psalm written by that Ethan the Ezraite, or the son of Zerah, who is mentioned in 1 Kings 4 verse 31 as a wise man, though Solomon was wiser than he, and that God, through the spirit of 
uh, Christ revealed to Ethan the Ezraite what he was going to do in the future with his people Israel. He revealed to uh, Ethan the Ezraite that he was going to cast the crown of the king whom he had appointed down to the ground and that he was going to do many terrible things to the people of Israel because of their disobedience to him. So this psalm is of the same nature then as the psalm, uh, uh, the song of Moses that is found in Deuteronomy 31 and 32. In Deuteronomy 31, verses 16 and following, we, we read this. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, you will rest with your fathers, and this people will rise and play the harlot with the gods of the foreigners of the land, where they go to be among them, and they will forsake me and break my covenant which I have made with them. Then my anger shall be aroused against them in that day, and I will forsake them, and I will hide my face from them, and they shall be devoured. And many evils and troubles shall befall them, so that they will say in that day, Have not these evils come upon us, because our God is not among us. And I will surely hide my face in that day, because of all the evil which they have done, in that they have turned to other gods. Now therefore, write down this song for yourselves, and teach it to the children of Israel, Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel. When I have brought them to the land flowing with milk and honey, of which I swore to their fathers, and they have eaten and filled themselves and grown fat, then they will turn to other gods and serve them, and they will provoke me and break my covenant. Then it shall be, when many evils and troubles have come upon them, that this song will testify against them as a witness." For it will not be forgotten in the mouths of their descendants, for I know the inclination of their behavior today, even before I have brought them to the land of which I swore to give them. And then if you turn to the Song of Moses itself, and we refer to a few verses there, note these things. First of all, verse 5, They have corrupted themselves, they are not his children, because of their blemish a perverse and crooked generation. Or verse 15, But Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, and you grew thick, you are obese. Then he forsook God who made him and scornfully esteemed the rock of his salvation. Verse 19, And when the Lord saw it, he spurned them because of the provocation of his sons and daughters. And verse 23 as well, I will heap disasters on them, I will spend my arrows on them. And you can read uh, the verses following that as well about the uh, judgments God is going to bring on them when they depart from him. Well, Psalm 89 has some of this same character, though it, in the beginning, celebrates God's covenant with David. Nevertheless, at the, um, uh, in the latter half of the psalm, we find God renouncing his covenant with David. Verses 38 and following, But you have cast off and abhorred, you have been furious with your anointed, you have renounced the covenant of your servant, you have profaned his crown by casting it to the ground. So I think this psalm 
is of the same character as Deuteronomy 32, the Song of Moses, and speaks prophetically of the time when God will renounce his covenant with David, as we read in verse 39 of the psalm. So it belongs, as far as the author is concerned, to the time of David and Solomon. Very interesting, in the, in the first years following the making of God's covenant with David, we find a psalm that speaks of the renunciation of that covenant. But it speaks prophetically of the time of the captivity in Babylon. I think that's how we should understand this psalm. So let's look at some of the the details of the psalm. First of all, in verses 1 to 18, we have a praise to the Lord for his covenant with David. It celebrates the Lord's uh, greatness, the Lord's loving kindness and faithfulness, the Lord's power, the Lord's righteousness and justice. A couple of notes about those different things. First of all, it celebrates primarily his loving kindness and his faithfulness. These are two very important words in this psalm, the loving kindness and faithfulness of God. Look at how often the word loving kindness occurs in the psalm. First of all, in verse 1, I will sing of the mercies or the loving kindnesses of the Lord. In verse 2, For I have said, Mercy or loving kindness shall be built up forever. In verse 14, Mercy or loving kindness and truth go before your face. In verse 24, But my faithfulness and my mercy or loving kindness shall be with him. Verse 28, My mercy or loving kindness I will keep for him forever. Verse 33, nevertheless, my loving kindness I will not utterly take from him. And verse 49, Lord, where are your former loving kindnesses which you swore to David in your truth? So seven times that word loving kindness appears in connection with this covenant of God with David. He displayed in a magnificent way his loving kindnesses to his people, and to his servant David. But the other word that occurs frequently in this psalm is the word faithfulness. Let's review the uses of the word, that word. First of all, again in verse 1, With my mouth will I make known your faithfulness to all generations. In verse 2, Your faithfulness you shall establish in the very heavens. In verse 5, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the saints. The heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord. Your faithfulness also in the assembly of the saints. In verse 8, your faithfulness also surrounds you. In verse 24, but my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him. In verse 33, nevertheless, my loving kindness I will not utterly take from him nor allow my faithfulness to fail. And again in verse 49, Lord, where are your former loving kindnesses which you swore to David in your truth or in your faithfulness? Again, seven occurrences of that word faithfulness in this psalm. 
And very often, these two words are paired in the same verse. These are the two primary characteristics of God's covenant with David. It is a covenant of loving kindness, and it is a covenant of faithfulness. And we're going to be coming back especially to that idea of faithfulness as we discuss the psalm, uh, the later parts of the psalm. Uh, Secondly, this um, first part of the psalm, verses 1 to 8, celebrates the wonders of the Lord. Verse 5, these are his uh, great and miraculous works on behalf of his people. The heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord. They pray, these verses praise the greatness of the Lord. Who in the heavens can be compared to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened to the Lord? That's verse 6. His power, verse 8. O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty like you, O Lord? He rules the raging of the sea, verse 9. He is the one who conquered Egypt, verse 10. You have broken Rahab in pieces as one who is slain. slain. uh, His defeat of Israel's enemies in the land of Canaan. You have scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. His creation of the world and his possession of all things in verses 11 and 12. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all its fullness, you have founded them. The north and the south, you have created them. Tabor and Hermon, rejoice in your name. So there's a celebration of the might and the power of the Lord. There's also celebration of his righteousness. Verse 14, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. So all of these things then are are, uh, revealed in God's covenant with David. Ethan the Ezraite understands the glories of this covenant and he celebrates the glories of this covenant with David. But then in verses 15 to 18, we find uh, a celebration of the blessings of the covenant people. Uh, let's look at some of that too. Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. They walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. That's verse 15. In your name they rejoice all day long, and in your righteousness they are exalted. 16 and following. For you are the glory of their strength, and in your favor our horn is exalted. And their strength for our shield belongs to the Lord and our King, to the Holy One of Israel. So the the covenant with David reveals the power and greatness and wonders of the Lord. It reveals his loving kindness and his faithfulness. But in the context of that covenant with David, his people enjoy many blessings, knowing the joyful sound, walking in the light of his countenance, having his name on them. They are exalted in his righteousness. They are strong against their enemies. They have a glorious king. So that's the introductory section of the psalm. Now in verses 19 to 37, we have a description of the covenant with that king, with David, therefore. We have a reference, first of all, to the choice of David to be king. 
In verses 19 and 20, you spoke in a vision to your Holy One and said, I have given help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found my servant David with my holy oil. I have anointed him. Then God's defense of this king and his setting him up in strength in verses 21 to 23, with whom my hand shall be established, also my arm shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. I will beat down his foes before his face and plague those who hate him. In verses 24 to 27, the exaltation of this king to a position of great power and glory. But my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him, and in my name his horn shall be exalted. Also I will set his hand over the sea and his right hand over the rivers. He shall cry to me, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Also I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth." And then in verses 28 to 37, the uh, perpetuity of this covenant with David, the uh, unconditional character of this covenant. God, he says, God says in verses uh, 28 and following, though his sons uh, break my laws, I will not break my covenant with David. My mercy I will keep with him forever and my covenant shall stand firm with him. His seed also I will make to endure forever, and his throne as the days of heaven. Then he goes on to say, if his sons forsake my law, I will chastise them, and I will chastise them severely. But, verse 33, nevertheless my loving kindness I will not utterly take from him, nor allow my faithfulness to fail. My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever like the moon, even like the faithful witness in the skies. And we should note especially that part of this psalm. It celebrates the unbreakable character of that covenant of God with David. God himself said, I will never break that covenant. Even if his children forsake my commandments, I still will not break it. His throne will continue to be as the sun before me. So that's the celebration of this glorious covenant that God made with David. But then, as we noted in the introduction to this talk, in verse 38, there's a 180-degree turn from this first part of the psalm, and it begins to talk about how God renounced that covenant with David. Let's read through that section a minute. But you have cast off and abhorred. You have been furious with your anointed. You have renounced the covenant of your servant. You have profaned his crown by casting it to the ground. You have broken down all his hedges. You have brought his strongholds to ruin. All who pass by the way plunder him. He is a reproach to his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his adversaries. You have made all his enemies rejoice. You have also turned back the edge of his sword and have not sustained him in the battle. 
You have made his glory cease and cast his throne down to the ground. The days of his youth you have shortened. You have covered him with shame. So it seems to be a direct contradiction of what God had said in the verses immediately preceding this. I will never break my covenant. And then the psalmist goes on and says, you have renounced your covenant. Now, I think we should emphasize that point, and we should emphasize that point by pointing out that some of the language that's used here in verses 38 and following is language that comes from the earlier part of the psalm. So in uh, uh, verses 31 and 34, we read this, If they break my statutes and do not keep my commandments, and in 34, my covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. That The idea of that word break there is really profane. And if you remember, when we got down here into verse 39, you have profaned his crown by casting it to the ground. In uh, the earlier part of the psalm, you have the word exult used about five times. You have a mighty arm, strong is your hand, and high or exalted is your right hand. Verse 16, in your righteousness they are exalted. That's the uh, people of God. In verse 17, in your favor our horn is exalted. Verse 19, I have exalted one chosen from the people. And in verse 24, in my name, his horn shall be exalted. But what do we find then in verses 38 and following? Well, you find God exalting his enemies. Verse 42, you have exalted the right hand of his adversaries. And notice that in verse 13 of the psalm, where it speaks of the strong right hand of God, here in verse 42, it speaks of the exaltation of the right hand of the king's adversaries. And in verse 25 also, you have a reference to the right hand. I will set his hand, the anointed's hand, over the sea and his right hand over the rivers. But he will exalt the right hand of his adversaries. In verse 23, we have the word adversaries. I will beat down his adversaries before his face and plague those who hate him. But then we have him exalting his adversaries in this part of the psalm. The earlier part of the psalm speaks of the throne of the king. In verse 4, the throne of God himself, or the throne of David, rather, and the promise God made to David, I will build up your throne to all generations. In verse 14, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. That's God's throne, but God's throne as uh, David sat on the throne of God in Jerusalem. In verse 29, his throne will endure as the days of heaven. In verse 36, his throne will endure as the sun before me. And then you find that throne being cast down. You have made his glory cease 
and cast his throne down to the ground. Verse 44. So what we read in in these verses here is almost a flat contradiction of what is said in the earlier part of the psalm, what is celebrated in such glorious terms in the earlier part of the psalm. Everything seems to be undone. The covenant of God is being broken. The covenant, God is renouncing his covenant because of the sins of his people. He's doing, it seems, exactly what he said he would not do in the earlier verses of the psalm. So how are we to resolve that problem? Well, first of all, I think we have to see that a part of the psalm being fulfilled, uh, especially in the time of the Babylonian captivity, when indeed there ceased to be royalty in the house of David. Zedekiah was the last king of the house of David. The line of David continued, and Matthew 1 traces that line from uh, the last days of the kingdom of Judah to the time of our Lord Jesus Christ. The line continued, but the throne of David did not exist during that period. The crown of David was cast down to the ground. There was complete loss of royal power to that house of David. But this even began to be fulfilled in the time of King Solomon. In 1 Kings 11, we read about how King Solomon became unfaithful to the Lord. Verses 1 and 2, King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. And then verse 4, For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord as did his uh, father David. And then we read in verses 11 and following, Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days. For the sake of your father David, I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. So what we have here then in Psalm 89 is reference, I think, first of all, to that uh, period immediately following the reign of Solomon, when the kingdom of David, that glorious kingdom of David and Solomon, went into a long period of decline, first split, leaving only two tribes with the house of David, and then from there declining through many years 
because of their sins and idolatry until the days when God brought them into the captivity of Babylon. That's what Psalm 89 is all about, that whole sad history of the kingdom of Judah. But there can also be no denying that that covenant with David refers also to our Lord Jesus Christ. When we read about the glory of this king in Psalm 89, we cannot help but see that that king is fundamentally our Lord Jesus Christ. The enemy shall not outwit him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. I will beat down his foes before his face and plague those who hate him. But my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him, and in my name his horn shall be exalted. Also I will set his hand over the sea and his right hand over the rivers. He shall cry to me, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Also I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My mercy I will keep for him forever, and my covenant shall stand firm with him. His seed also I will make to endure forever, and his throne as the days of heaven. That is the throne, ultimately the throne of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so in these verses of the psalm, which speak of the casting down of that throne uh, to the ground, we see the suffering and death of our Lord Jesus Christ himself. You have cast off and abhorred. You have been furious with your anointed. You have renounced the covenant of your servant. You have profaned his crown by casting it to the ground. He is a reproach to all his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his adversaries. You have made all his enemies rejoice. You have made his glory cease and cast his throne down to the ground. The days of his youth you have shortened. You have covered him with shame. That's the suffering and death of our Lord Jesus Christ. But that in itself, of course, is very significant, for it takes us right back, doesn't it, to the beginning of the psalm. In this suffering and death of our Lord Jesus Christ, we see the abolishing of the Old Covenant, of which Hebrews 8 talks. God abolished that Old Covenant through the suffering and death of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the veil of the temple was torn from the top to the bottom at the moment of Christ's death that signified the abolishing of that old covenant. But at the same time, in that suffering and death of our Lord Jesus Christ, we see the establishment of the new covenant. This is my blood of the new covenant, Christ said, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And that dead king whose throne was cast down and whose 
crown was profaned in the dust of the ground, rose to heavenly glory, and God set his hand in the rivers and his right hand over the seas, and he rules all nations. So even in the casting down of that throne, we see God um, reestablishing that throne in a heavenly kingdom which shall endure forever. And so the lament at the end of this psalm, verses of 46 and following, is a lament also about the destruction of the throne of David at the time of the Babylonian captivity, but is also a lament about the death and suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ. How long, Lord, will you hide yourself forever? Will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. For what futility have you created all the children of men? What man can live and not see death? Can he deliver his life from the power of the grave? Lord, where are your former loving kindnesses which you swore to David in your truth? Remember, Lord, the reproach of your servants, how I bear in my bosom the reproach of all the many peoples with which your enemies have reproached, O Lord, with which they have reproached the footsteps of your anointed. And the Lord did remember. He remembered the reproach of his servants and the reproach which his anointed bore. And he remembered the loving kindnesses which he had sworn to David in his truth, in his faithfulness. And he delivered the life of his anointed from the power of the grave and set him on high so that he was a man who died but who lives now forever. That's what this psalm is about. And that's what this psalm celebrates then, especially at the beginning. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall establish in the very heavens. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to my servant David, your seed I will establish forever and build up your throne to all generations. And the heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the saints. This is a glorious psalm. It's a psalm of the great anointed one, our Lord Jesus Christ, and of the faithfulness of God to his covenant, his covenant made with his people and with David, but his covenant made with Israel at Sinai, and his covenant made with Abraham, and his covenant made with Noah, and his covenant made with Adam and Eve after their fall into sin. For Christ is the one who fulfills all those covenants and who ultimately becomes the King of Kings and reigns over a heavenly kingdom forever and ever, world without end, to the glory of his Father. May God bless you with his word.